Hi, everyone. It's Dina McKay, and I'm back with a brand new episode of Black Tech Unplugged, the podcast that allows blacks in tech to share their authentic stories with you, the listener. On each episode, the guest talks about how they got into tech, their work in the industry, and lessons they've learned during their journey. You can find full show notes for this episode on blacktechunplugged.com. On this episode, episode 30, I have Charles Kirkendall as the guest. Charles was born and raised in Chicago. Whoop, whoop. And while he's currently working at Airbnb Los Angeles, assisting with the build out of Airbnb's experiences, Charles did not start in tech and he definitely didn't start at the top. Charles' career began in financial services and he worked for Barclays before pivoting into recruitment. He then did some agency recruiting before he propelled his experience into senior recruitment roles at JP Morgan and Facebook. In this episode, you'll hear all about his journey as well as his life outside of the workplace as an entrepreneur managing his tour event series, R&B House Party. This episode is a little bit long, but I can guarantee that it's fully worth it. I hope you enjoy this episode. And if you do, make sure to not only share with your friends using hashtag Black Tech Unplugged or tagging Black Tech Unplugged on social media, but also make sure to rate and subscribe on any method that you're listening to the podcast. Now let's get it. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to a brand new episode of Black Tech Unplugged. I have Charles Kirkendall in the studio today. Hey, Charles. You got that right. I appreciate it. (laughs) So, Charles, for my listeners who don't know who you are, which I find impossible, go ahead and tell them a little bit about your background. Background. Well, I always start when I identify myself as where I'm from. And I'm from Chicago, Illinois. That plays a big role in who I am today. Uh, Born and raised Went to college at DePaul University in Greencastle, Indiana, small liberal arts school. Uh, pledged a big fraternity, though, for Alpha Phi Fraternity Incorporated. Um, that allowed me to spend a lot of time at HBCUs despite not going to one. Okay. Um, and a lot of my fraternity brothers were actually from New York. And that made me want to move to New York after graduation. And that starts like the second phase of my life. Um, moved to New York, started working in finance operations more specifically. Uh, that was all I was after early was just trying to not be poor. <laughs> like I grew up. Uh, but then I realized that I wanted further fulfillment in my career. I realized that I had a passion for people always. That was just interpersonal skills. Never issue. Maybe some of the analytical sometimes, but interpersonal <laughs> woo, flying colors. Uh, so I wanted to get into more of a people space and recruiting felt like a natural fit. Um, and from that end, I kind of had to start from the bottom, um, really learn how to be a recruiter. From there, I wanted to pivot, go back corporate. Okay. All I knew was finance, so that was just organic to go back into finance as a recruiter. So I worked at J.P. Morgan as a recruiter, uh, but I had an itch. Tech was just really, really, really starting to explode, and a lot of people that I knew were getting jobs in tech, and I was like, I need to shoot my shot. I don't know if I'm qualified. I don't know if any of these skills at Barclays Capital and J.P. Morgan and International Market Recruiter is going to be transferable, but I'm going to try. Okay. Um, and I did. I had internal referrals. Come on now. Refer your friends. Uh, I ended up applying for three roles, Amazon, Google, Facebook, ended up getting Google and Facebook. Okay. And I was able to turn down Google. That's the craziest thing. <laughs> 
ever oh. I'm able to say. Well, do you realize you said like the top, like you applied for the top three. You didn't even like try to go Well, small. shoot is shoot now. I said I was shooting my <laughs> shot. What, what do you want me to do? If I'm going to shoot, I'm going to shoot. But yeah, um, ended up working at Facebook. It was going to be a relocation to the Bay. Okay. Um, and my wife was eight months pregnant at that time as well. We had literally just bought a house too in New Jersey. What? Maybe three months before I relocated. Yeah, it was crazy. It's absolutely crazy. But so we moved to the Bay. Um, best decision I ever made in my life other than marrying my wife. Um, Facebook was phenomenal to me, for me. Uh, my wife ended up getting a job at Facebook as well. So we were like the first family of Facebook. It's a lot of, it's a lot of F's. Um, (laughs) And from there, I was just having an amazing career. A couple companies just started knocking. I'm knocking. So everybody here, that was, that was one company. That was two companies. That was three companies. That was four companies that just started coming after me. And I kept saying, no, 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 no. I'm so happy. But at some point after four companies hit you up, you're like, all right, maybe I just need to see what this whole fuss is about. Right. Well, and it's like good to be wanted, right? Yeah, you know, you know, that feels good. It feels good to reject somebody. I was like, mm, I'm not looking. I'm I'm good. I'm comfortable. <laughs> um, but like I said, after four, mm-hmm. I said, all right, let me at least get back to them and, and see what the landscape is now that I'm an established tech senior level, you know what I mean? Person. So from that end, um, it really came down to a couple companies, Twitter and Airbnb that I really, really, really connected with. And it started to hit me. I may actually leave Facebook. Um, and with Airbnb's growth and it just, we're really going to do some very, very, very cool things over the next few years. Yeah, I could talk about a little bit of okay. it. Um, we're going to do some very, very, very cool things. And I was just like, wow, this is an opportunity to get to a company that's still in its infancy stages. Mm-hmm. It's great. And I moved to L.A. So I know I'm I'm on the move. I'm doing a lot. Doing the most. You're going to get there. Why is the most? But you're doing the most. But I want to start all, like, I want to throw it all the way back to being in Chicago. You grew up in Chicago. In Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> So when you grew up in Chicago, did you have any idea like what tech was or grow up around, you know, we have Black Girls Code and everything like that now. But back when you were here in Chicago, was that even accessible to you? No, I didn't know that tech was a career. Obviously, we still use tech. I think my brother in 2004, when he went to school, was the first Facebook, uh, you know, year. Um, and I was the second in 2005, the second Facebook year when we went off to college. Right. Uh, so you had to, you, everybody was waiting to get their .edu email address so that you can <laughs> sign up for Facebook. So right. nobody, I mean, yeah, it was Facebook and it was Black Planet, but nobody thought about those as actual careers. It was more like end user perspective. Right. Um, so it was unfortunate that that wasn't something that we really knew about. But for us, it was the most established people uh, coming out of Chicago. It was like the people that worked at banks, people in finance, people who wore suits every day. Mm-hmm. So that was what I identified as success as people who dressed up and had to go to work and, right. you know what I mean, put on that face or that mask. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. We could, we could go deep if you want to go deep. Have you ever seen that meme where if somebody's like in the bathtub and they've taken their mask off for the day? And they're like <laughs> That's what you make that's it sound it. like. That's right it. Now. That's it. I mean, for sure. Um, that was just what I thought you needed. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? To really be in a space where you're 
outside of work life was completely different. You right. didn't talk about that at work. You just came right. in in your suit. You put on, use the biggest word that you can use, licentious, egregious, fervor, fervent. <laughs> um, try and sound articulate and get through the day and hope nobody finds you out. So <laughs> that's, 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 how we, that's how I was in Chicago. So then when you went to college, you studied. I studied communications. Okay. Uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do with that. Um, I kind of fell in the ops. This is actually a very interesting story. Uh, so I was interning at Lehman Brothers, okay. which is a bank that ultimately went under when we had our financial crisis. Yeah. Uh, but there I was doing internal communication. So I was helping with all of the communications that we gave to employees around a number of different things, editing that type of stuff. So it really aligned to my background. Mm-hmm. What happened is they extended a full-time offer to our graduating class, the top of August, we worked so hard to get that offer. Mm-hmm. By like August 15th, the company didn't exist anymore. So <laughs> that's just how that happened. So it was like, okay, this internal communications thing, let's just hope I have a job. So Barclays Capital ended up um, acquiring um, Lehman Brothers. And from there, they be bad pressed to not give these 50 uh, students from across the U.S. a job. <laughs> like, so they... Right. Uh, took on the internship program, but they just had to put us all in operations because that was where their needs were. So that was how I just fell in the ops. Didn't have a background for it. Lord, I mean, I don't know how I made it through. Uh, but yeah, so that's kind of how I got in the ops. So I was never in finance, but it was helpful to really be able to understand the business because, you know, I got into more of the uh, business aspect of finance than just being on the back end. Right. So you get thrown into ops. Mm-mm-mm. And what did you do to make it through? Yeah, I mean, I look back and because my wife was there, too, we laugh a lot because, I mean, we were doing some we were making some horrible mistakes, like in terms (laughs) of our presence, presentation, our approach to the job, mistakes, attitudes. Like, I mean, just the whole nine. I was like, I was at 21, 22, wilding. Like, (laughs) I can't believe I like said that at work and stuff like that. Like, what's like a good example of like something you said at work there that you would never do now? Oh, I was there to say something that I did. I have a really good friend uh still friends to this day from that initial internship program and the people around us we was like felt like a college campus we had maybe about four different uh first time new grads on our team so we would all be a pod and laugh and hang out after work and all that Uh, but we found out that uh, my homegirl she used to be on a dance team in college (laughs) so we ended up finding one of her dance team pictures one of the other people's like, yo, make that your screensaver. I make it my screensaver as like a little joke for us. Right. One of the heads of our departments walking past. And then one of the people were like, why don't you show her this? And I'm like, what? No, no, no. So she comes out on my screen, sees that. Within two weeks, I got moved to a different team. <laughs> and in earlier on, I didn't know why and i'm so naive to not realize that that was probably why they were like okay they're not taking this as like a real job and and it really reflected on me i would have never done that but you know that was we were just cool hanging out and so that we were getting our work done so that type of stuff i didn't think mattered but yes that type of stuff matters like you can't make (laughs) your co-workers (laughs) dance picture your screen that's wild (laughs) I wasn't in HR yet. Listen, I'm in HR now. Please, if you do that, like, we're going to walk you out the door now. But Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> now, you better not look at nobody the wrong way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you're at this job and you meet your wife. So, I do want to talk about that a little bit. Oh, wow. Just from the perspective yeah. of 
you know how it is now. Mm-hmm. Like you do one little wrong thing, you're out the door, like you said. Yeah. So if you were going to shoot your shot with somebody at work, yeah. what is the appropriate measures that you could take now? Yeah. Now. Okay. Yeah. Back then, don't do what I did. I was just shooting recklessly. Um, <laughs> now. Hmm. Is there an appropriate way you can even do that? Yeah. I mean, A, you can read body language. Even then, right. it was big on kicking, as I call it. Kicking yeah. <laughs> with somebody. So she would laugh at my jokes. Like when she would want to show me something. She says, I'm making this up. And it's not. I promise you she would do this. Like, she was trying to show me something on my screen. She would get real close to my back. I'm like, I can feel you on my back now. Right. You know what I mean? So, like, right. physical touch. You know what I mean? It was just like, ha, 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 Throw your hand. I just put my hand on, on, on the table. Like, put your hand on somebody. So, you kind of know. Right. Uh, but, obviously, you don't want to assume. That's the worst thing you can do. So, I was explicit. I took her out to uh, afterward little drinks, uh, happy hour. And I was like, listen, I don't know why, but I'm feeling like I like you and I don't know what to do with this. I feel like I should just put it on you. <laughs> and I think that that's the most appropriate way to have a conversation about it. Yeah. Um, give them an opportunity to share whether they feel the same or not. Don't make no assumptions. Don't just go in for a kiss when you do none of that. And one thing that you mentioned that's important to know too is you didn't fully do something at work. Like you didn't send her an e- send that in an email you took her out. Yeah, I took from, her like the workspace. Yeah, it took away from the workspace, and that still, to me, is the best approach in today's society. Definitely don't don't mix church and state, or however you want to call it. Like, just keep it separate. <laughs> right. So you're doing all this stuff. You're in operations. Even you're in the finance space. How do you? What is like the moment where you're shifting? You're like, okay, I want to get into this tech thing. And I want to get into HR. I'm tired of this. Well, HR came before tech. Okay, so let's start with the HR. Okay. Step to going to HR. Step to going to HR. So after that little fiasco, I really proved my professional worth. Um, I killed it in that other group. Mm-hmm. We did a rotational program. The next team, I'm like absolutely excelling at my job. So much so that when it came to our full-time roles, that second team that they moved me to after the little monitor incident, they asked me to be like a consultant for that team. So I became like a business analyst to improve the process that they would do because I used to do it. So I knew it better than anybody. Like, no, we should add a button here, work with technology, work with the um, engineers to improve those um, efficiencies. So that was like, wow, I did so well. You wanted me back. But I was just like, whoa, I'm now doing UAT testing. And what? Mm -hmm. Like it started getting very far left. But I said, listen, Hard work has gotten me this far. If I work hard, prove that I'm great at this, then they'll give me the opportunity to get into what I want. Look, so for Wait, quick question. Yep. So when you were doing that, though, you didn't feel like you were in tech doing UAT testing? and I didn't equate it to technology. I didn't equate it to what the tech space was. I just felt like I was doing, um, I guess, I mean, tech, yes. I felt like I was doing tech, but I didn't feel like I was in tech. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah, not at all. So I, for that year, I worked extremely hard because you can't have mobility until you're doing a, one job for a year. Mm-hmm. The rest were rotations. Okay. Killed it. Review. Great review. Um, they said that they would even be talking promotion for me. I was like, well, how about this? Y'all hold that promotion. Just let me go into HR. And they was like, no. They're like, no, you're good at your job. This is where we see you really building a career. And I was like, all right, well, I'm going to be out. 
And that was it. I said, all right, I got to I got to get out of this place because if you get promoted in it, the money's going to start to matter more and you're just right. going to get stuck. And I was going to be doing UAT testing for the rest of my life. Not bad, but it's, it's for not me. for you. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. No, you. UAT test is great. I mean, yes, improve the process, help us out. Uh, but oh, for me, one. that was just like that was going down a path that I did not want to go into. Okay. So you are like, nah, I'm out. And then what happens next? Um, so I my wife was going back to B school because she was in a similar space. She wanted to get into HR too. So she went okay. and got her masters in human resources as her pivot. Uh but a recruiter from Ernst and Young reached out to her. Okay. Um for a role where you're literally doing the exact same thing that business analysts work. So she was like, Oh, I'm actually not on the market, but I know somebody who's really good. Mm-hmm. Introduced them to me. I went, put on the Charles and got the job. So okay. that was like my first taste in kind of more of an HR space. Um, that role specifically was a resource manager. So I managed the consultants who are on their engagements, ensuring that their utilization, because you have to have billable hours for the entire year. Oh, shoot. So I was making sure that the utilization was right. So it was more of like a liaison type of role between the business and the people who are on the ground. So then you're at Ersting Young. Yeah. Six months, six months to the day I went to July 4th. I feel like July 4th just passed. I was partying. I was kicking it. Uh, And it just wasn't working out. I literally, I learned a lot in that six months. A, because my approach to that role was to show them my dedication and the hard work. And I just was not getting it right. It was, it was very, very difficult for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was like, oh, I'm just going to continue to work hard. That's going to be enough. So they were like, Charles, go to lunch. And I'm like, no, I'm going to stay here and work. And I'll be the first one in the last one. And I thought that was me proving that I was willing to do whatever it takes for the job. But that was showing them that maybe I was in over my head. And so the messaging was just not... It just wasn't relating well. You know what I mean? Right. I'm like, oh, I'm, you should be like, oh, I love this kid. He's say like, I'll work 20 hours a day if that's what it takes. And they're like, bro, it don't take all of that. Right, is this guy okay? Right. Uh, so ultimately, they gave me a severance. And uh, I mean, they needed to down. So we have, it was, we had, we were probably overhired. So uh, they gave me some money and I was like, I will take this. I will sign my name here. This, this is a good amount. Uh, <laughs> and for the first time, um, I was able to kind of pick what I wanted to do next. Okay. And that's what led me to agency recruitment. Okay. So at agency recruitment, yeah. did you feel more at home? Did you feel like you were? No, it was the scariest thing I ever experienced in my life. Uh, because I was making less than I had ever made. Okay. Um, okay. It was literally your compensation is tied to the decision making of a human being. Um, and if you know how humans operate, I think you are one. Uh, you know that that's not an easy situation to be no. in. So. Um, that was like very, very, very scary. Having to pick up the phone and call somebody on their desk job. Like it was, that's, that's an intimidating call, calling the operator 15, 20 times a day from the same company, trying to switch up your voice. They're like, you just call here eight times (laughs) asking for different people. Like we, we used to do that. Right. Mm -hmm. Then you go through that process prep them for their interviews, get them through two rounds, get an offer only for them to take a counter and stay and you don't get no money from that. So from a recruiter perspective, because yeah. I'm sure people who are listening to the podcast, mm-hmm. this happens to them all the time. Oh yeah. What advice do you have for them so they can stop hurting people's feelings? The I, candidate or the recruiter? The candidate. Well, at the end of the day, and now that, you know, again, I was like 24, 25, mm-hmm. 
nah, I care about my career. I'm going to make the best decision for me. I don't care. You could be the sweetest person. I literally will send you a nice dinner gift card or something after I stay in my company. Cause I, but at the end of the day, you have to do what's best for you. Right. Um, the agency medium, that's just comes with the territory of you want to be an agency recruiter and not work for the companies directly. You know that that is how it works. Uh, just have a high volume because you just can't be responsible for the decision making of people. You know what I mean? You could just stick to it, try and work as hard. And that was one of the things that was great about it. Cause again, I was young in my career, um, had been through some stuff with EY, had been through some stuff with Barclays, but it was just like, you can never get too high, never too low. Um, and I was able to really thrive there. Like I really, I thrived. Um, but again, um, just the market started to shift and I was like, mm, I prefer just one check at the same amount every day for 365 days right. until a, you know, a raise or something as opposed to a month making whoa, astronomical in a month being like, okay, can we eat popcorn tonight? Like, you know what I'm right. saying? That was just, yeah. that was the ebbs and flows of it. And when it was good, it was great. Like I said, I paid for a wedding and a ring and <laughs> yeah. Well, we had a great wedding. It just cost too much money. <laughs> hey, that's for a different podcast. <laughs> but I bet it was a big wedding. But from all of your experiences, what are the lessons that you could share for the listeners that you've learned from all the experiences before we get into you getting shooting your shot at the big Okay. Company? Okay. Uh, up to that point, I would say, A, no matter what it is that you do, approach it with the same level of dedication. Whether you hate it, whether you love it, work hard at it. Um, I say that under context of now being turning 31 in a few weeks and literally it's stuff from my Barclays experience that I just hate it. But I'm able to do the lookups, do pivot, all this stuff that is people just don't they just don't know. And I'm like, bro, this is helpful to paint a picture for what we're doing now. And I mean, these are way more strategic analytical things that I'm involved in now from a recruitment perspective, but mm -hmm. that makes me a better recruiter because I'm able to do those sorts of things. So it was just like, I did never thought I wanted to have that experience, but it was helpful. And because I cared and because I was dedicated to it, um, I was, I'm able to still um, have those skills as opposed to saying, Oh, whatever. Uh, that's number one. Number two, um, I would say be a good person. Okay. Yeah. You know, my work self, and this is before I was able to bring who I am outside of work, who I'm, who, you know, talking right now. I bring this to work every day now. I'm so sure of myself. Uh, but before I was, you know, putting on the facade, but even in that, like my reputation precedes itself. Even at Ernst and Young, you know, it didn't work out, but those people I'm linked in connections with, they're mm -hmm. happy for the way I've been able to build my career. You know what I mean? I still was able to reach back for references and stuff when I was trying to get different jobs from that experience. So again, be a good person. Like you're, when you're not in that room, what are they saying about you? I was surprised when you said that, not because people shouldn't be good people, mm -hmm. but a lot of people just don't actually say that. Yeah. They never verbalize, mm -hmm. like, you know, you really should be a good person. Yeah, yeah. Mean what you say, have integrity, apologize, you need to apologize, take ownership. I mean, I made a big mistake in Barclays Capital. Um, I had, because I was doing my role so well, they gave me like this high priority account setup thing and you just couldn't miss one. I ended up missing one. Um, and the minute I did, I just went to them and was like, listen, it seems like one was missed. I was going to the restroom, such and such. What is that we need to do now to fix it? Then I put a procedure in place to have multiple alerts to prevent it from happening again. They gave me a promotion because I was like, you know what I mean? Because right. of how I managed that situation. Because I wasn't right. somebody who was going, uh, I can't believe I missed one. Let me just act like it didn't happen. No. 
Right. So, I mean, yeah, those are the type of things that, that really matter. So be a good person. And three, be open to learning new things. Mm, be open to learning new things. Like I'll raise my hand for everything. And it really was for me to be able to get a good review, which ultimately gave me more comp and all of that, but just always being willing to do things and try and be a part of those side projects, man, that has gotten me so, 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 so far. Um, honestly, I'm building those other two aspects, like because I was always volunteering for stuff. Um, it went far in my professional credibility. And again, what people say about you when you're not in the room, which is where the decisions are made. <laughs> right. So you've done all these roles. You're at the agency. Yeah. And then what happens next? Um, one of the people that I was working with when I was trying to find a agency recruitment job, she ended up taking a role at J.P. Morgan. Okay. And we, she ultimately didn't help me get a role. Everything didn't work out. Um, but then she was now corporate and was like, "We could use you." So she recruited me to J.P. Morgan. Okay. Um, and there. That was just like so great. That was so great. I was able to a see where this agency experience really kind of landed itself um, in my career and my ability to actually be a good recruiter. Because I mean, agency recruiting is all about volume and stuff. Now I'm trying to add strategy and other components to what I had learned there. Okay. And I was like, whoa! The good thing about agency is that you can't be lazy. So I literally was like always trying to do things and improve things. Mm -hmm. um, again, that business analyst mindset now coupled with being a cold caller. People, we would do recruitment events and these people would only want to send emails because they were scared to pick up the phone and call people. I said, no, no, no. If you want to raise the number of people that's confirmed attendance, call them and say, hi, my name is Charles Kirkendall. I work at JP Morgan. I wanted to invite you to a diversity event that we were hosting. For people were scared to do that, but I wasn't. Right. So JP Morgan was going exceptionally well uh, for me, just based off of all those experiences um, and bringing it to a corporation. And so, you know, mm -hmm. you're working in corporate, which we all know that that's your um, regular paycheck. Yes. You're getting it every two weeks. Yes. Come on. So, oh, yes. <laughs> every two. <laughs> and so you're at JP Morgan. And then what? Um, a year had gone by. They were like, you know, you were well, not even a year, maybe 10 months because I started a little bit into the year. Uh, great bonus, little raise. They say you're up for promotion to VP. And if you're in finance, everybody knows the VP is what you want to make. Right. And I was like, oh, my God, I got the opportunity to be a VP. Yada, yada, yada. But I was not happy with the raise. If I'm being honest, I was like, I can't make this for another year when I know the impact that I made has been so crazy. Right. Um, and I'm in recruitment. So I know what I need to do. I was like, Oh, I just need to go get a counter offer. And so, and my wife was like, all right, <laughs> let's do it. I was like, I'm going to force the hand because I'm not going to wait 365 days for them to promote me. Right. Then give me the money that I want. You know what I mean? Like, no, we're not going to do this. So I was like, let me go get a counter offer. Uh, so I was going to go to a couple of finance companies to do it. And I was like, wait a minute before I just go to one of these other companies that I know I'm ultimately going to be able to get a role with. Let me just see if there's opportunity for me to get into tech because all my tech friends were having so much fun. They were wearing their Jordans to work and I was just, <laughs> now Instagram is big, right? So I didn't right. know, I didn't have a lens into the tech space before. Okay. Now I'm seeing my friends at work and then on LinkedIn and hugging each other and like, oh, I had such a great day at work today. I'm like, I want to be that. I want that. <laughs> um, so, so I was like, listen, before I go and Try and get a counter for the finance company. Let me first try and get a counter with a tech company. Okay. Shoot a shoot. So you had a, a lens into tech. It was real small. Yeah. 
But from an outsider's perspective, before you got into it, it looked like it was fun. Yeah. What like? Yeah, it looked like it was fun. Everybody got to be themselves. People got lunch for free and was eating outside and sitting on blankets, Indian style with the laptops. You know, you got no laptops at work. You had a desktop. You know what I'm saying? Oh, like, come I on, come on. That. People no. could work from anywhere and sit on bean bags. Like, whoa, it's like college. So yeah. that was just <laughs> that was the glorified way that I saw tech. It was like Google in the movies, like ah, just a ball pit in the office. Right. So I was like, wow, if I can get that, I want that. Okay, so you start shooting your shot. Start shooting my shot. Three How did you approach it? Um. I knew three people at three different companies, mm-hmm. um, and I was wanted a referral. See, keyword though, you did it through a referral. Mm-hmm. So many people try to go in just like, yeah. You know, I wasn't the going cold. I wasn't going cold. Um, in the role, I took Facebook, but the guy who referred me was uh, a friend from college. We did not keep in touch like that. You know what I mean? We had a few classes. Really cool guy. Mm-hmm. But when I talk about that reputation piece he had seen me on facebook seen me on instagram seen me growing my family doing great things working in nonprofits. so it was okay. easy for him to say oh charles i would love to refer you and he wasn't a close friend of mine by any stretch of the imagination that okay. was ultimately the job that i got but uh he wrote a very in-depth referral dan thank you still bro like okay. it was an amazing referral but somebody that i really didn't have a relationship with since college oh i'm sorry that's that's a moment because somebody missed that I reached out to somebody. People want to be arrogant and feel like they could do it on their own. I reached out to somebody that I had not spoken with at that time for six or seven years. And we weren't even that close in college. Okay. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And he was not black. You know what I'm saying? Right. So it was just like, hey, my reputation preceded itself. It was, I approached it professionally. Right. He said, Charles, I would love to refer you. It's my pleasure to do so. So you can't be afraid to put yourself out there. The other two were friends. So it was like, whatever. Yo, can you refer me real quick? Uh, but him, which was the role that I ultimately got and right. took, uh, yeah, that was through somebody that I had to put myself out there for. We need to touch a little bit. So you say that your reputation preceded itself. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't know how to strategically put themselves in the position to have that reputation. Do you have any tips or advice for how people can kind of build their network to do that? Um, a, be a good person. I'm going to go back to what I said, like literally have integrity, right. like just simple things like that. It's not like you got to go and fill the room with laughter every time you walk in like right. I do or anything like that. I mean, I'm crazy. <laughs> I'll be honest, but literally things like that. That's what, that's what sticks with people. You know what I mean? Being helpful. If you, we said something at Facebook, nothing at Facebook is somebody else's problem. If you see a piece of paper on the floor, be the person to pick it up. I know it's not your job. I know they pay people to do that, but if you do it, somebody's going to know stuff like, wow. That shows a lot about them. So all you got to do is be authentic self, be true to yourself, have morals, values, have some type of a compass of right and wrong. And and that's it. The rest will work hard. Like that was it. Okay. Yeah. It's not no magic formula. For some people it might be. Really? I'm just saying. Well, they got to work on that. (laughs) They got to work on that now. Now they know to be a good person. (laughs) Right. There you go. So you're interviewing with these three big companies. Amazon never actually interviewed me. So oh, I got internally referred for all three. Okay. Amazon got back, said that they um, didn't have anything. And oh, okay. I was like, cool. Um, Facebook was the last person. Google happened really fast. Google spoke to me. It was going to be on my homegirl's team. She, she wasn't the manager, but it would be on the same team. Mm-hmm. Uh, Austin, Texas. 
They had a role open. They started the process. Facebook wasn't getting back to me, uh, but I was reaching out to at least, you know, they sent you like a warm message. Oh, just want to touch base from your referral. Thank you so much for being interested in Facebook. We definitely want to consider our candidates. Right. I was like, well, I'm interviewing with Google. Would love to keep the process, keep open mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The minute I use the word Google, I got a call within five minutes. Oh, can you tell me more about yourself, Charles? <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, now I see what I'm supposed to do. So right. um, that escalated things with Facebook. And I was literally interviewing for Google in Austin, Texas on a Friday. The role at Facebook was going to be in Redmond, Washington. And that was on a Monday. So I flew New York to Austin, Austin back Saturday, packed up Sunday, flew Sunday to Redmond, interview Monday morning, flew back, went to work on Tuesday. That was one of the most intensive weekends. I kind of do that regularly now. <laughs> we'll yeah. talk about that in a minute. Uh, but yeah, it was an intense weekend, two interviews. And when I tell you, I prepped for those interviews more than anything that I've ever done in my life. I went on complete lockdown. I approached that the way that I think you need to be able to approach um, something of that magnitude. You get one shot. Like you can play around with it if you want. You cannot want to call the people who may not be super close to you that works there that can give you insight into the process. You could do all that. Oh, I got it. And willy nilly, you will not get that job. Um, and I was fortunate, blessed, prayerful enough to get both. So actually, that's a good segue because I want to ask, you're going through this interview process for Google and Facebook. What was that like? They both were a little different. Okay. Google was a little bit more abstract. Uh, okay. They wanted to see how you think. Okay. Uh, so they would kind of just throw different scenario based questions out there at you. Uh, have you case study walk through some stuff just to mm. really see how you think it wasn't necessarily right or wrong. But if you were detail oriented, able to kind of process um, use data to make decisions, you know, certain things like that. Right. They were like, okay, we're looking for signals there. Um, Facebook, on the other hand, ugh, Facebook made me feel like an idiot and not in a bad way, yeah. but they just, they didn't have any of that stuff. They just asked you about your experience. Cool. Let me tell you this. I was like, well, if you couldn't do it that way, how would you go about recruiting this candidate? I was like, um, well, I did do it that way. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. Just like, you just like sitting there like, wow. So like, did you think about maybe doing it this way? And I'm like, oh, that's genius. You know what I mean? So right. I literally felt like the dumbest person I had spoken with at Facebook. And that also played a role in why I took that job. But I literally, I was like, whoa, I'm going to be in on, over my head. This is the thing everybody talks about in tech called imposter syndrome. Yep. I was like, oh, I'm going to be an imposter. But guess what? <laughs> Once I get good, it's over. It is over. And again, that could have been the same case at Google, but Google's process was different that I wasn't able to feel that at Facebook. Right. They were straight. They asked you questions. They dug deep. They challenged you. They, you know, yeah, yeah. I was like, wow. So you go to Facebook, you become a recruiter. You were recruiting PhDs in machine learning. So you're recruiting like some very smart people. Mm -hmm. And what do you even look for when you're in that type of role? Like, I can't even. Yeah. Like. <laughs> well, you kind of understand what the baseline is of what you could. When you're a recruiter, you can recruit for anything. You just got to understand the skill sets, okay. be able to identify the different search criteria to find them um, uh, and really be able to engage them in creative and specific and strategic ways. Okay. Uh, so it wasn't, it wasn't that difficult. It sounds so intense, but I mean, when you honestly know, okay, I'm looking for somebody with Python experience, somebody who's at one of these top 10 schools in the PhD program focused on machine learning, deep learning, such a thing. You, you start to learn. And honestly, you have to talk to people as a recruiter right. and 
as you talk to people, you just start to pick up on stuff. It's like, oh, that makes sense. Oh, so that's why my search algorithm does that because you understand what I'm saying? So it starts to make sense and you're facing off with the business who's implementing this stuff. And so you just start to learn. And again, if you're open to do it, if you want to just come in and be a doer and not really think about it, you could just come do, do, do and not know anything about your job. But if you think about it, you can learn and pick up on some stuff. It's interesting, though, that you said that you have to kind of learn the characteristics and Mm -hmm. It's almost like creating a profile for what you're looking for. They yeah. have this, this, this. I can't tell you how many times I've interviewed for a tech job, and I guess they probably don't have a profile. Mm. And you're kind of like, mm. okay, I'm interviewing for this job, and then I get to the final round, and it's like, this ain't the job that was described <laughs> to me when I first started going through this process. No, I like, do that a lot now. I do that a lot now. You're not about to come at us. Um, <laughs> I, genuinely, I genuinely do that a lot. Like, I don't have job descriptions. I'm pitching company. I'm pitching culture. I'm pitching what have you previously done? We'll make okay. all the skill sets make sense. But that, honestly, I think that's a great approach um, really? to recruiting. Yes. Okay. Oftentimes, and yeah, like you, like you said, the job might have pivoted a little bit. But what I hate is you're trying to fit people into a box when you tell them these are the seven things that we want here. Mm-hmm. Then you're going to get them to try and be those seven things. I would rather you be you and bring that diversity of knowledge and that diversity of person to a role and be able to not be that if you're everything there, we probably already have that. Like, I want you to be something different. So now I'm, I'm, I'm really not trying to find people who fit the job description. I'll do pretty tech roles now, but I like people who are doing other things outside of just, that's why I don't even talk about the job description. I don't want you to think about that. I want you to tell me your experience, what it is that you know. Stop trying to fit into this piece of paper. Right. So speaking of diversity, so when you're at Facebook, you start the Black Men's Yeah, Movement, Black Men at, yeah. And then you were doing different ERGs. So let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so Black at Facebook is fire. Uh, we They did a lot of events. I was a part of it. They endorsed my ability to create Black Men at Facebook. Um Shout out Tori, who gave me the idea because she had started Black Women and they were just really doing a lot of women specific things. And it was an avenue for us as black men in tech to be able to get together and do some things. Um, I left maybe a couple months into building that out. But from a broader perspective, just black at Facebook, Facebook encouraged you to identify as black and not be afraid to say the word. And I mean, it was just it was mind boggling the experience there. Like I used to whisper, oh, we have a black candidate. <laughs> like, why are you whispering it? It's okay. We have a black candidate. That is great. What, what else? You know what I'm saying? Right. I'm like, oh, he's he's Latino. You know what I mean? right. like, like, Charles, stop whispering it. Like, it's but okay. That's like what you're mm-hmm. used to doing. That's what you're used to doing. Yeah. It wasn't talked about openly. Right. Um, and so, yeah. And they wanted us to build community inside the company and feel like we had support. Identify okay. that. Yes, it's not the same across the board for everybody. So if you're Latin that, we're going to give you money and programming to feel like you belong here. Facebook, uh, you're black man, black woman, black at, we want you to fill indoors. We're going to let you have a conference build community, be able to wave to each other in the hallway, know what each other's doing. Yeah, they really, really endorsed it. That was crazy. Shout out Facebook. I don't work there anymore. Let me be clear. They're not paying me. But that was that was a very, very, very amazing thing that they did. You know what's crazy? You're like... Speaking very highly about the diversity of mm-hmm. Facebook, and I'm sure you've heard, you know, everybody comments about, well, their numbers say. And yeah, I didn't say I didn't say it was a lot of us. I said they made us feel supported. But I mean, but that's still a good thing. Yeah, yeah, Nobody yeah, yeah. talks about it yeah, from of course, that side. Of it's course. always like. Absolutely. Oh, so low. It's so low. And I mean, there are macro issues that are going to have to change in order for us to build. Again, there should be 
assistance from a level playing field perspective. You really, really, really not to say that you need to lower standards. And I hate when people put it in that bucket. Right. Right. But if a person has five out of the seven things Mm -hmm. and in my opinion is is you could coach those other two and Mm -hmm. they're diverse. I would rather that person than the person who has seven out of seven things. Right. And we can talk about the reasons why that is. That's, that's a, podcast, a different podcast. But just in general, like, that's where people's heads should be at. And that's where the influence of a recruiter should come in and be able to say, why can't we have this right. person? But you have to have the support of the business. So you're at Facebook. Mm-hmm. You're making some changes. you got these ERG groups that you're working with. Mm-hmm. What makes you want to go somewhere else? Nothing. I got four companies that reached out to me and I said, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> listen, listen, everybody got a price. <laughs> everybody has a price. I mean, I'm right. saying that facetiously, but it was just like, I, I need to at least see what's out there. Right. This is my first tech role. I didn't know how quickly people make moves. I didn't know how what another role could potentially look like outside of the trajectory that I was having there. Mm-hmm. And it was just interesting to go through those processes and see, oh, here, they want you to manage a team of X amount. I want you to be a sorcerer. Here, they want you to kind of build out this. And I was like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Well, that sounds interesting. Right. Um, and that's kind of how it was. But I had no bug, no interest. I turned them down a couple times before. I was like, all right, let me, let me respond to some people and, and see what's out here. All right, so you respond to some people, and Mm -hmm. you get to where you are today, which is Airbnb. Airbnb. So let's talk about what your role is exactly there and how it's been going so far. Yeah, so I am a technical sourcer at Airbnb. Um, Pretty much I'm assisting with the build-out of our L.A. Airbnb experiences business. Okay. Uh, So homes is where you stay. Experience is everything that you do. Right. Um, So there's a lot of different categories that we have that fall under that. But the actual technology behind that part of the platform, I'm hiring the engineers that are doing that. Okay. Yeah. So how have you been enjoying it so far? Love it. So this was like... It's for us to be such an established brand, but because I'm in the L.A. office, it, we really they started this office maybe October of last year. Okay. 30 people were in a WeWork. It feels so much like a startup. Okay. Um, so it's like I'm getting that startup, but also working for a real, real big major tech. Uh, company. Right. Uh, so it's a great fusion. We, we doing really good work. Um, like I said, it's not defined yet. It's still very early. It's 10 years in existence, Airbnb, which is crazy that it's actually 10 years because we probably have only been using it for maybe four or five actively. Right. Um, yeah, 10 years. Um, but there's just so many opportunities to really try and shape what this ultimately looks like. Um, cause they have some very big, ambitious goals. What are some of, like, can you tell us? Yeah, no, I'm not going to lose my job for you now. Uh, But uh, some of the things, it's just like we acquired hotels tonight. And if you think about that, right, everything Airbnb is about is staying in somebody else's place. If from from an outsider perspective, like, why would they get into hotels? But now we're in hotels and homes. So if you just think about how the cornering of the market is just like, whoa, and experiences. Who would have thought that you would want to go to Airbnb, which is a place where you're supposed to find a place to stay, to identify things to do, and find very unique experiences there, right? So it's just like the sky's the limit 
right. in terms of what they can use Airbnb.com, which is Airbed and breakfast. <laughs> like now you're getting outside of breath. You're talking lunch, dinner, sunset cruises, all type of stuff. So, right. Yeah. That's exciting, though. I feel like that's not too far fetched, though, because if you mm-hmm. go some, somewhere yeah. brand new, no one's ever yeah. gone there. You need some advice on mm-hmm. what to do there. Yep. I think that's not too far fetched. Yeah. And I'm excited to see what that turns into. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so it's exciting that there's no real plan. So it's almost like you get to shape what yeah. happens. Is yeah, that exciting absolutely. For you? That is, that's amazing. Um, and I was probably 75% of the reason why I took the job. It was just like, when am I going to have the opportunity again to kind of be a part of something at this, that's this blank of a slate. Like mm-hmm. before I joined, it was like 12 people in that office. We're now at 30. It's just like, we're part of a build out. Like this is, this is absolutely crazy. So I just was like, I gotta, I gotta do this. Okay, so you have your job at Airbnb, mm-hmm. and I'm sure everybody knows about uh, that. Not everybody. Side hustle, not everybody. Well, do you, what do you call it? Do you call it a side hustle or do you call well, it Well, this past year, or? I pivoted from hustle to business. Okay. Uh, because it was honestly taking on a life of its own. Okay. Um, last year, I mean, this is the third year that I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, last year, I was like, okay, I'm going to self-finance a tour. So I like self-finance, going like a U.S. tour with it. Right. Then out of nowhere, sponsors and people wanted to reach out to do it. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is like a lot. Like This is like turning into a lot. Like I need uh, to hire somebody. I need help. I need to have somebody else really focusing on this with me and strategic planning and actually like putting together a tour. Like I'm telling you, I put together a tour, book venues, bought everybody's flights. Like I was doing everything. The actual host of the event when you're there. Right. Like. All of that. So now I was okay. Let me approach it like a business. Let's have somebody who's kind of more like a tour manager and kind of does all that type of coordination. Then somebody okay. who kind of manages like a business manager. And I call him my CEO. I don't really have no titles, but like he's kind of managing all the corporate sponsorships and all that type of thing, so that I can just kind of hopefully ideal state. I just show up, stand on couches, laugh, sing. And then go home and (laughs) and play with my son. So (laughs) So for people who don't know, what is the business called? Yes, yes. So it's called R&B House Party. Uh, It's a traveling party that is focused on uh, inclusiveness and the nostalgia um, of R&B music and the way that that makes you feel. That's effectively what it is. So what we try and do is in a club setting, primarily, uh, we try and recreate the safe space of a house. Um, so no matter where we have this party, whether it's one oak in New York city or before we were just kind of doing it like basement venues, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. No matter where you are, you're recreating that safe space of a home so that no matter your demographic, your age, where you're from, when you hear that song, you feel comfortable enough to sing it to the top of your lungs, like you in the shower. <laughs> um, and it's a judgment free zone. We talk about that. It's a place where you don't have to have a dress code. We want you to be you. We want you to be your authentic self. And just the one commonality of everybody in that room is that they love R and B music. Okay. And so it creates what I call R and B church. <laughs> it's just like it's like a sing along. It's a lot of fun. Do you have a favorite city that you've been to? Woo, Chicago. Uh, it's home. It's right. home. And, you know, one of the good things about the Midwest is that you still have like that southernness to our city. Yeah. And 
people in the South can sing. So Chicago, you're getting that mix. When I tell you, people are like harmonizing to the music. It's just a beautiful, beautiful experience in Chicago. I love it everywhere. Um, I birthed it in New York. I didn't even birth it in Chicago. I did the first party in New York, grew it in New York, then started doing it in Chicago. But Chicago is just like I'm getting to come back home, be around people who really can sing and just like really create moments. I have a lot of fun here. Okay, awesome. Yeah. So the reason I bring up mm-hmm. your business, you have a business and you have your full-time job. Yes. Do you recommend that people find something outside of just their like regular tech, you know, tech job? Something yeah. that they Yeah. Do? I mean, anything. Mine is on weekends traveling to different cities to make people sing. Somebody else's could be working out. Somebody else's can be massages and getting their nails and feet done. But like you have to do something that it's for you. Now, as far as like actual business or passion project, I think, yes, like if you have a saying that you can put on a T-shirt and can market it, do that. I mean, you don't got to do mass distribution. It's not like my thing is, and that's why I have my job, because with this project, business, whatever, I don't want to make decisions based on money. Like I have a job. So this I'm about experience. So I'm coming with these thoughts and this advice from the perspective of I'm good. Now, if somebody's a full-time entrepreneur, you got to do what you got to do. But I'm saying if you're looking for like a side passion project or business, like, yeah, do it. Like there's, there's no harm in doing it and getting it out there. You have Instagram ads where you can promote it to people that you don't even know. They don't even know your name. It'll just pop up on their news feed from the algorithm of where they're located, et cetera. And they search history. I get in all that fun stuff. Um, but I'm like, you, you have all the tools at your fingertips. Everything is so easy. Whatever it is that you're passionate about, do it. Like, there's no reason not to. And for you, doing your business and then your job at Airbnb, do you ever have an issue with them crossing? Do the people at Airbnb know about your business? Yeah, they know. I don't really talk about it. <laughs> they ask. I just say stuff. But I'm like, which city are you in this week? Oh, listen, listen, listen. Relax, relax. You know, I'm just a regular guy. I'm, I act like I'm Kawhi Litter. Yeah, I'm a fun guy. I'm just. <laughs> but. But, you know, it, I, they know. I mean, they see it. That it's not. I don't think it's that big of a deal because everybody does something else. You know what I mean? Right, like right. people have uh, travel blogs. People do photography. Like, what? Well, yeah, mine just happens to be very fun. Right. And I think that that fun partner with some very big names that you might see me post about makes it intriguing. But I'm like, it's no different than anything else somebody else chooses to do on their weekend. Um, but in terms of overlapping, yeah, it, it, it's, it's never really overlapped. I do a good job. There's 24 hours in a day. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, when I say, like I said, work hard, you have to work hard. So when I'm at work, I'm working, I'm focused on my job. I'm getting it done. Sometimes that does mean after work, I have to do more work stuff. But majority of the time when I'm at work, I don't be taking lunches. I'm not trying to walk around and go into the ball pits and stuff. I'm like working cause I know I need to dedicate my time outside of work to other things. So, um, that's kind of how I do it when I get out of work. I'm getting this party stuff. It's conference calls. It's this. It's that. It's strategizing. It's all of that. It's group messages and all of this to get ready for whatever event's coming. Uh, but, yeah, you, you make it work. Um, but, again, I had to bring more hands on deck because it was starting to get too much to do by myself. Right. And so two questions, two more questions around that. One, how do you keep the work-life party balance? 
because um, you know there's only 24 hours in a day yeah i have an amazing wife um because like, we have a child and that obviously you can't dictate what he wants and when he's gonna have things so right. uh, she helps hold down the fort so phenomenally she has a phenomenal career on in her own right but she does understand that i have like two jobs so as often as she can she's like kind of managing other aspects to give me the time and the space to come home get on a computer get on a conference call to figure out some other stuff so that being very strategic about your time time management is so important what I laugh at is when people say, oh, I don't have the time for something. It's like, is he, 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 you, you have time. It's you don't want have the time for this. Right. So I always say you make time for what you want to make time for. So time has not been a issue for me because it's like I care about this. It doesn't. So it's a part of what I'm doing. Like it, I don't even it's second nature at this point. Right. Um, but you have to, again, want to prioritize it, want to um, dedicate the amount of energy that it's going to take to make it happen. Um, and that's like my priority job, a family, God, job, just other thing. And then again, it's like supporting and being there for my friends and that type of thing. Like it's a lot of people that support. This is a business where people, you know, have to show up, have to take time out of their schedule, have to find babysitters and stuff. So as often right. as I can, which is really the tiring part, those two things, job and other job is not really that tiring. It's the time that I don't have there that I would love to sleep or just be with family, having to support other people's things but all of the, and do other things like that. That's a big, big part of, again, being a good person. And raising that equity of yourself is like, okay, if you this guy, you constantly having people support you and you don't support them. You know what that's going to lend. You know right. what I mean? Like it's going to, it's going to show, um, leave a bad taste in their mouth about you. So I really try and using that extra time to go support other people's stuff. So that's when it gets to be a lot. Right. And then I mentioned that keeping your job, both of your jobs separate. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people who have, their own business and also have a Mm full-time job and they want to put it on like dinner and their job actually gets a little tested about that or get, doesn't want them to kind of, you know, promote Mm -hmm. in a certain way. I'll put it that way. Has that ever happened to you with what you're doing? And if so, or if you know someone who it has happened to, what are some tips or advice you have for people? Yeah. So my job is so completely separate between the two. Like it's literally day and night. Like, but it's people who have businesses that are like, you're trying to recruit people. You're like, those are complete different things. Nothing that I would ever do for Army House Party needs to be on LinkedIn. Nothing from my professional day should ever overlap other than something like Afrotech where it's like, oh, he was the recruiter at the booth and I see him standing on the table throwing this party. (laughs) Other than that, there's no time that those things will ever overlap. If they do overlap um, and they're people who have run into the issue where you have to kind of choose, you choose what's best for you. Um, That's the end of the day was going to be the most fulfilling. And one of the things that I will say is when I switched from ops to finance, I told you, I mean, from ops to HR. And I told you I was making less than I ever made in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, My brother told me, he was like, when you do something you're passionate about, the money's going to come. And so I took that agency recruitment job. I could have went back in ops and had a senior role, making good money and all of that. But that was something I was passionate about. And that has led me to lead a very, very solid life. So. I say that as well. If you're passionate about your side project and it's starting to cause issues from your day job and you're not passionate about that, focus on your passion. You know what I mean? Take a step back. I was living in Manhattan, downtown, finance district, moved to Brooklyn. Like, you know what I mean? So I could save some money. Like, you do what you got to do and then make sure and everything's going to work itself out. Okay. 
So we've talked about your journey. We talked about both yeah. well, your job and your business. And one thing that I want to end on is, so you're a recruiter. Mm-hmm. Obviously, people are always looking for jobs. Yes. What tips do you have for people who are out here looking, especially in tech? Yeah. You know, interviewing and getting a job is completely different to most industries, at least Mm -hmm. from my opinion. What tips and advice do you have for the listeners? Wow. So if you want to get into tech, A, always encourage people because I do so much resume review. Um, Mm -hmm. Identify three different jobs that you like from three different companies. Mm -hmm. Look at the bullet points of you from tech companies. Like you're trying to get into tech. You don't know where your skills transfer. Look at three different job descriptions job that you like from three different companies, identify one or two bullets from each of those mm-hmm. that you can speak to. If it's just one, just grab one and then market your resume in that way. You want to make it clear to these recruiters the transferable skills. Like if you're talking a complete different language of what you're doing in finance, what you're doing in media, what you're doing in fashion, and it just seems like you just are cold portal submission. People just go, oh, no, it's not right, not right, not right, not right. Uh, so always try and diversify your understanding of the space. You're seeing eight bullets from Twitter. You're seeing eight bullets from Airbnb. You're seeing eight bullets from Uber. Hmm, that one, that one, that one. And really start to understand the lingo, understand the space and the roles that you want. Uh, that's number one. Number two, be persistent. Like cast a wide net. Do not get down on yourself, man. Like you heard my journey. I got paid out. I got paid to leave. Um, you know what I'm saying? I was in a job that I was unfulfilled at. You know what I mean? I had to wear a suit every day. Like I, I it took me 10 years to get into a space where I'm this happy, you know, going to work every day. So it was just like, be persistent. Like, sure, you get rejected. Sure, you get on site and start building up in your head. You're going to get it and you get rejected. But you take those learnings and apply it to the next job. You apply it to that next interview. You work on that Boolean search string or whatever it is that you felt like you didn't do right about. Uh, no, you know, you're not going to get the feedback from the company of what you did wrong, but you analyze yourself, analyze mm-hmm. and think about things that you can improve upon and put forth the effort, put forth the effort and just keep, keep going. Like you you don't think about how many tech companies, if you ever want to think about how many tech companies are out there that you can get a job with, open up your phone, go to your apps and look at every single one, your Yelp, your Uber, your lit, like every single one of those are a tech company that you can get a job at. So cast a wide net. All right. Any final words that you want to give to my listeners? Yeah. What's up? (laughs) (laughs) No, I just want to say, man, I have a lot of different facets to me. We covered a lot. You really pulled a lot out of me. That was a great interview because, you know, I really don't be like to talk about all of my talk. Um, But for me, I I just say it's power in your journey. It's power and transparency, like the ebbs and flows of life. Like everybody's not always up right now. I'm having a really solid up moment, but I I talk about those down so openly because those are what got me to this situation that I'm in right now. So I'm just like, bro, it's power in the journey. It's power in the struggle. Stick to it. You're going to make it out. I can start preaching. My daddy's a pastor, so I don't mind. <laughs> I mean, you got a little time. Give you a minute. Well, Black Tech Unplugged. <laughs> Thanks for listening to episode 30 of Black Tech Unplugged. I'm Dina McKay, and you can find the podcast at Black Tech Unplugged on all social media channels. And make sure to post with hashtag Black Tech Unplugged. And if you haven't already, please go subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or however you're listening to these episodes. If you have a few extra minutes, make sure to leave a five-star review too. It would help me out a lot and help other people find the podcast. Until next time.